We are physical and spiritual beings, every one of us. We are not merely physical bodies. We're not just chemicals and synapses. We are not merely spirits trapped in physical bodies awaiting some sort of release. It's not who God made us to be, not how God made us to be. And while we can be tempted, and our, our world, our society definitely falls victim to this, uh, victim may not be the right word, <laughs> while we can be tempted to think that only physical or material things are real, that's not the case. Both physical and spiritual are real. Angels are as real as angel fish. Uh, but angels are spiritual, and angel fish are physical. Do you see? We are physical and spiritual. The fall, Adam's sin in the garden, the fall impacted us physically, and it impacted us spiritually. We get sick. That's a physical consequence of the fall. We're also sinners. Is that spiritual aspect of the fall. Therefore, if the fall, and it did, impacted us physically and spiritually, then redemption is needed physically and spiritually. And this has been promised to us. You think of redemption, you may only think of one or the other, but Scripture actually speaks of both. Colossians chapter 1, in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. Do you see? Spiritual redemption. And yet that's not the only way that the term is used. Paul says in Romans that we are awaiting the redemption of our bodies. In fact, the redemption of all of creation, physical spiritual beings, physical spiritual fall, physical spiritual redemption. Our our eternal hope as Christians is the resurrection and glorification of our bodies and souls, because that's who we are, so we can live live forever with God on a redeemed new earth. Us redeemed creation redeemed with God together. Because God is the one who made us physical and spiritual beings, his revelation of himself to us is also physical and spiritual. God's word, the Bible, is eternal spiritual truth communicated in physical words, words that can be read, words that can be heard. It's not a a download or some sort of like a mystical transfer of information. It's eternal truth brought into creation. Even more than that, in the Bible, which is itself physical communication of spiritual truth, we read of more examples of spiritual truths or spiritual realities communicated by physical means. Lots of list, really shortening. Like this whole thing is like its own sermon, if not series, but that's not what we're doing. Uh, The Old Testament sacrifices, physical acts that conveyed spiritual truths. Physical acts, an animal, just an animal, an animal that's killed. Lots of animals die. But yet, at that time, in that place, by those people, it was a physical act that was communicating a spiritual truth. 
Circumcision was also a physical act that conveyed physical and spiritual truths, right? It communicated something. Lots of people had circumcision, but when God used that as a sign, given that to Abraham, he was communicating something specific to him. And then the most ultimate example in Scripture is actually the incarnation, where the eternal God, God's Son, eternally spirit, took on humanity so that the incarnation is actually an example of a physical revelation of a spiritual truth. 1 John 1 is the sermon for that. Not just John 1, but 1 John 1, right? Our hands have handled, our eyes have touched the word of life. We had a physical interaction with this one who is eternally spirit. He he came into creation. I hope we're beginning to see a pattern, a pattern in which God's revelation of himself, this isn't just us deciding something, it's actually God establishing a pattern of revealing himself to physical spiritual creatures, humanity, God revealing himself to physical spiritual creatures, and it has always been physical spiritual revelation. That's the pattern that God has. And and along this same well-worn familiar path, God has also given his new covenant people physical symbols of spiritual truths. We could also describe these as outward expressions of of inward realities or visible signs of invisible grace. Another way maybe of looking at this is to say that what we're talking about are actually God-given sermon illustrations or gospel illustrations, which of course would be better than any of the weird stories that I tell (laughs) as illustrations. Historically, these symbols, these expressions, these signs, these illustrations have been called the sacraments. Physical things communicating spiritual truths. We're on week two of a short series on the sacraments. Today, we're asking the question, what is a sacrament? Last week, what is the gospel? Because we have to know what that is. In order for it to be an illustration of gospel truth, we need to first know what the gospel is. That's why we took the time last week to do that. But what is the illustration? How and why? What does it communicate? How does it communicate? Here's my answer to this question, what is a sacrament? A sacrament also called an ordinance, is a holy ceremony commanded by Christ in which God uses physical elements as a sign and seal of spiritual gospel truths for his new covenant people who receive them by faith as a means of his grace to them in Christ. According to scripture, there are two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. I'll read that again. Uh, If you want this and you're not fast enough, again, text me, email me, we'll get it to you. A sacrament, also called an ordinance, is a holy ceremony commanded by Christ in which God uses physical elements as a sign and seal of spiritual gospel truths for his new covenant people who receive them by faith as a means of his grace to them in Christ. According to scripture, there are two sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And in working through this today, uh, I want to try to explain what sacraments are and and, uh, expand this this definition in five points. Uh, We're not typical Baptists. We don't do three points. We're Reformed Baptists. We have five points. And apparently that'll preach. So one at a time. 
That's done. We'll have, oh, we don't do, no, never. What is a sacrament first? The sacraments are ceremonies. That's the first point I want to get across. You know, in one sense, a sacrament is a religious ceremony or a ritual. And some of you might gasp. We don't have ceremonies. We don't have rituals. Well, don't be afraid of any of these words. Just stick with me. By ceremony or by ritual, I mean specific elements are used. Water, bread, grape juice, or wine. Certain words are said. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Or a passage like 1 Corinthians 11 that we read each time that we come to the Lord's table. It's a ceremony. Certain people are included in this ceremony. Some are not included in this ceremony. It takes place certain places, certain times, certain people, certain words are spoken, certain elements are used. It's a ceremony. It's okay. And when we call baptism and the Lord's Supper sacraments, we are emphasizing that they are holy ceremonies, sacra, sacred, right? We see the word right there at the beginning of that. That's what's happening here. These are holy ceremonies. Uh, They're not common. It'll be the opposite of that. They're not mundane. They are special. They are holy because of who has given them to us, God, who is holy, has given us a ceremony. Therefore, it's holy from, from Uh, the fact that it came from a holy God to us. It's also holy, also special because of what they communicate, the gospel. So it's not just an ordinary ceremony. It's a holy ceremony. And we must remember that they are holy lest we treat them trivially and abuse them and thereby dishonor our holy God and the gospel that they communicate. They are holy ceremonies. Uh, they are also commanded ceremonies. And that's another term often used for these same ceremonies. Even in the definition, a sacrament also called an ordinance. Ordinance is in ordained or instituted or commanded. And when we use the word ordinances to describe this, we're emphasizing that they are indeed commanded ceremonies. Commanded, that is, by our Lord Jesus Christ for his people to participate in. And remembering that the, sa- the sacraments are commanded ceremonies is important because we are bound to God's word in what takes place, right? Not every meal by a Christian is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. If I, if I grab a bacon cheeseburger from Wendy's with, with a Dr. Pepper and I eat and drink, even with gratitude in my heart to the Lord, that is not a sacrament, right? <laughs> not gathered with the right people. It's not the right elements, right? It's, it's just, it's fine, it's delicious, but it's not, the, it's not a sacrament. Sacraments and ordinances. Sacrament, also called an ordinance. We have two terms here communicating two both important truths. They are holy ceremonies. They are commanded ceremonies. And I don't know of anyone who objects to referring to baptism and the Lord's Supper as ordinances, uh, but I know a lot of people who object to or question using the word sacraments to describe them. In fact, I would venture a guess that many of you and other churches that you have attended would never have used the word sacraments, or never did, but you did use the word ordinances. And the the question or the objection or the pause that we have, that many people have, uh, when it comes to the word sacrament is because of that word's use uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, In case you aren't familiar with it, the Roman Catholic Church incorrectly teaches that there are seven sacraments, really a sacrament for every part of life, uh, from birth to death, rather than two. Uh, And that's wrong, uh, but it's actually not the most serious error that the Roman Catholic Church has in relation to sacraments. 
Uh, in order to understand that error, I want to move on to my second point. The first, the sacraments are ceremonies, holy ceremonies, commanded ceremonies. Secondly, the sacraments themselves are physical and spiritual. Physical and spiritual. Like I already said, we are physical and spiritual creatures needing physical and spiritual redemption, and God has revealed himself to us using physical means to communicate spiritual truths. But how do the physical means and the spiritual truths relate to each other? And that's an important question. And there's a common error, two errors, The first would be the error of failing to distinguish between the physical sign and the spiritual truth, where they become really one and the same thing, right? Failing to recognize a distinction and maybe a melding together of the sacrament with what it is pointing us to. The, The sacrament and the truth become the same thing, and they're not the same thing. Do you see that error? Failing to distinguish the physical from the spiritual. And that is the very serious, very serious error of the Roman Catholic Church. They believe that in baptism, sins are actually washed away. They believe that in the Lord's Supper, what they call the Mass, the bread becomes the body of Christ. The cup becomes his blood. In fact, the priest at the altar during the Mass causes the sacrifice of Christ to be repeated. The body of Jesus is broken again, and his blood is re-shed. And hopefully there are, even if you've never been familiar with that, I hope that there are some serious red flags that would come up. And there have been, and we we could spend a lot of time talking about that. Well, I just, quick instance, how Hebrews makes it very clear Right? That the sacrifice of Christ was once for all time. It is completed never to be reoffered. How, how can Christ be sacrificed again and again and again when the Bible says it was once for all time? These serious errors. They are errors, though, that fail to keep the proper separation between the physical and the spiritual. And in essence, they then turn these ceremonies into magical events. Right, where there's this, this magical transformation that happens through words being spoken by a particular person in particular garb in a particular place. Right? It really does become like what we think of as, as magic. It's like a spell being spoken. And then those words communicating something and some mystical, magical transformation taking place. There's a similar error, not just in the Roman Catholic Church. Maybe that's not any part of your background, but many churches in our area Uh, would still make the same mistake of failing to distinguish the physical from the spiritual in believing a different version of baptismal regeneration. Have you heard that term before? Right, where there are certain churches uh, around very commonly that would say, in order to be saved, you must be baptized. Because in baptism, it is the washing away of your sins. No, not for an infant, but to, to accompany your profession of faith. It, it isn't legitimate unless baptism happens, right? So you take a sign, you take a truth, and you say they're actually the same thing. That your sins aren't washed away if you don't enter the waters of baptism. Failing to distinguish the physical and the spiritual. Melding them together. And that error, like the Roman Catholic error, associates the illustration baptism too closely with the gospel truth that Christ has washed away our sins. But not by entering physical water. 
talk about that a little bit more next week, Lord willing. There is also a second error, though. The Roman Catholics and others would, would fail to distinguish from the physical and the spiritual. The second error exists, I think, as a reaction to the first. Well, if they keep them, if they fail to distinguish, if they dissolve the line between the two and make them really one, the other error divorces the spiritual from the physical and I think actually ends up setting the spiritual aside to where in order to keep it from being a spiritual act, right, it's actually only a physical act. Making the ordinances basically just physical acts of obedience, things that we do in worship simply because we're supposed to, and that's it. And sadly, this is incredibly common among evangelical churches. Incredibly common, especially Baptistic churches, who in an overreaction to abuses or disagreements that they have with other Christians or those who claim to be Christians, and seeking to guard against the heretical errors of the Roman Catholic Church, pastors and churches especially Baptist or Baptistic churches in the last 150 years or so, overreacted, downplaying the significance of the sacraments. Instead of the sacraments being viewed as everything, which they're not, I think they actually almost became nothing. Something that just happens, but it doesn't need to happen with frequency because it's really not that important as long as you do it. If you just do it, you're good to go. That's an overreaction. That's missing what God's word has communicated to us. And do you see how that can really separate the physical from the spiritual and set the spiritual aside? Just go get baptized. Just do it. Right? Come to the table. It can happen once a year because really, I mean, nothing's happening. But Jesus said do it, so we got to do it occasionally. That was not what God intended. And it was not what we needed, right? It's not just like this is safer to keep us away from the Roman Catholic era. It's not safer if it's not what God has in mind. And if we divorce the physical from the spiritual and set it aside so as to avoid some other type of abuse, we're actually missing out. We're failing to receive all that God has for us because we are not just physical beings. We are physical and spiritual beings, and the God who made us that way knows that, our, that that fall affected us physically, spiritually. We have promised redemption physically and spiritually. His revelation is physical and spiritual. And so our worship needs to be both physical and spiritual, improper relationship to each other. And we can't just overreact from one to the other and pretend like everything's okay. It's not. And here's what's happened. In separating and divorcing those aspects and setting the spiritual aside and then minimizing the importance because it's just a physical thing, a hole was created. A hole was created in our worship, or actually more than a hole, a vacuum. And you know what? Nature abhors a vacuum, right? A vacuum, an emptiness that wants to suck something else into it. And so we, as physical, spiritual believers in Christ, not using the physical and spiritual means that he has given us in the sacraments, People still long for some way of physically expressing the spiritual truths that they have. A hole created in the worship of Baptistic evangelical churches, which was eventually filled as the sacraments were replaced by an altar, which is very Roman Catholic. 
an altar at the front of the church where sinners are called to come and profess faith and believers are called to come to repent and renew their trust in Christ and rededicate themselves to him. There's no problem with a physical act of response and profession. And there's nothing wrong with a physical act of renewal, repentance, and rededication. Matter of fact, we should all do that. And it should happen in the sacraments. Baptism, a physical sign of the repentance that we have and the trust in Christ and our identification with him. And the Lord's table as the place where we come to say, I repent again and again and again. And I need Jesus and his sacrifice broken, his body and blood. I need it as much as I did the first day I believed. But we've replaced that. And I feel strongly about it because we are missing out on what God has for us when we do that. And may it never be that we would withhold from one another, we as elders or anyone else, that we would fail to receive what God has for us in the gospel. The answer to these two extremes is faith. Where is the proper balance struck between melding the physical and the spiritual and divorcing them and setting them aside? The answer is faith. Isn't isn't faith like always the answer? You say Jesus or you say faith, like you're pretty good. Okay, I mean like, 98% of questions somehow can be answered by those things. Faith is the only thing that can provide the proper balance between the physical nature of the sacrament and the spiritual nature of the sacraments. By faith, we receive the spiritual and the physical. By faith! By faith, we see the invisible in the invisible. The invisible in the visible. It's not with eyes. It's with eyes of faith. Without faith which is understanding, embracing, and trusting Christ. Without faith, the sacraments are worthless. Just a bath and a snack without faith. Without faith, the sacraments are even dangerous. Being baptized without faith or thinking that being baptized is faith makes baptism a work and we are not saved by works. Coming to the Lord's table without faith or thinking that eating the bread and drinking the cup is itself faith makes the Lord's supper a work and we cannot be saved by our works, even good, holy, commanded, gracious works. Hear God's word talk about salvation and works. Common passages, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace you are saved through faith this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast in titus 3 verse 5 god saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness hear me baptism and the lord's supper they are works that's okay they are something that you do And therefore, since they are something that you do, even in obedience, and we'll clarify that in a minute, but even though they they are works, therefore they cannot save. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And the passage goes on. As we consider the sacraments today, and, and Lord willing, the next two weeks, even as I hope Pray to increase your understanding 
appreciation and even love for the sacraments. They must be kept in their proper place. Can a person be saved without participating in the sacraments? Absolutely yes. Do any good works, including the sacraments, contribute to my justification, my righteous standing before God? Absolutely not. There is no such thing as more righteous or less righteous in Christ. Some people who are more righteous in Christ, some people who are less righteous in Christ. Right? There is, there is only perfectly righteous in Christ or entirely unrighteous on your own. That's, that's the truth of justification. Perfectly righteous in Christ, perfectly unrighteous and guilty on your own. And faith, not works, is the thing that makes the difference. We are justified by faith. In the same way, there are no... You guys remember participation pins, like certain number of years, like I was in a choir for like six or seven years since you had pins, or if you're in Awana, maybe you had like certain number of pins of how many years. Sometimes Sunday schools historically have done like, I have good, good attendance awards, like for a certain number of years to show, I don't know, how good you are at having your parents drive you somewhere. Uh, but there are no Lord's Supper participation pins that get you closer to God in heaven. That's not what it does. It's kind of like, well, we did it every other week. Well, really, we do first and third Sundays, and fifth Sundays we don't. So we're really 24 times uh, a year, give or take. Uh, but that's better. You know, some churches only do it once a month, so you're welcome. Uh, some only once a year, once a quarter, but some people do it weekly. I mean, are they going to be closer to Jesus than we are? It's not how it works. It doesn't make any sense, right? So that's not what they do. They do not contribute to our justification. But just because they don't do that doesn't mean they don't do anything. The sacraments are ceremonies. Uh, The sacraments are, what we've done so far, physical and spiritual. My numbering is wrong on my notes. It's what's throwing me off. I don't think this is number four. This is number three. (laughs) We'll have two number fours today. That's good. Two Two number fours. This one, the sacraments are part of the new covenant. Ceremonies, holy commanded, physical and spiritual and proper relationship brought about by faith. And the sacraments, number three, are part of the new covenant. By this, I mean that the sacraments are distinctly Christian. They are from Christ for his new covenant people, uh, the church that we read about, that we are part of. Uh, Abraham, Moses, David, none of them were baptized, and none of them partook of the Lord's Supper. They lived and died as part of the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant describes God's relationship with the nation of Israel and finds its definition in the Mosaic Law. Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, talking about the same reality. As Paul wrote to the Romans, there was nothing intrinsically wrong with that covenant or with God's laws and commandments in it. Paul writes, uh, the law, the commandments, they are holy, they are righteous, they are good. So that wasn't the problem. It wasn't a flawed system, but there was a flaw. The flaw came in the fact that the people who received the law were sinful and therefore unable to keep it. 
The people who received that law, who were, who were participants in that old covenant, uh, were sinful and therefore utterly unwilling and unable to keep that law. And this showed that something more, something new, was needed from God for his people. So throughout the Old Testament, even as early uh, as, as Deuteronomy, in the law, it's already talking about the need for something more than the law would ever provide. So throughout the Old Testament, we read about God promising to do something new, promising to inaugurate or bring about a new covenant. And I think the most significant passage for that probably is in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, where it says this. I mean, Jeremiah, weeping prophet, right? I mean, he just... Jeremiah and Lamentations is just heavy. It's like you get, if you can get to 31, it's just like a breath of fresh air because it's not just the judgment that's going to come on God's people, that it's not just the end. He says this, God says this, hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers, old covenant, on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and his, each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And the book of Hebrews elaborates on this passage from Jeremiah. It's one of the key texts uh, that's in that almost like sermon-type letter. The book of Hebrews shows how the new covenant is superior to the old in every way and how Christ has brought the new covenant into existence because in the coming of Christ, by his obedient life and his cursed death, the old covenant and its laws were fulfilled and the new covenant was begun. And notice in that passage from Jeremiah 31, in place of the unfaithful disobedience of the old covenant people, the new covenant involves a heart-level transformation that God himself will accomplish for all his new covenant people. All of them. They shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. Because unlike God's old covenant people, a mixture of Jewish believers and unbelievers, the new covenant people, Christ's new covenant people, will all know him. They will all have his law written on their hearts and in their minds. They will all have their sins forgiven. The new covenant people is all believers, according to God's word. So if Christ's new covenant people are all believers and only believers, and they are according to God's word, then Christ's new covenant sacraments are for all believers and only believers to be received by faith. Faith, like we've discussed before, proper Christ-honoring participation in the sacraments requires 
individual conscious faith on the part of the participant. Faith, which includes a knowledge of who Christ is and what he has done for us, involves an acceptance in the heart and a trust, head, heart, hands. That's what faith is. Faith that is required for proper Christ-honoring and obeying participation in the sacraments. They are absolutely not for those who may or may not believe in the future like the infant children of believers. The new covenant people are all believers. And the new covenant, covenant sacrifices, the sacraments, are for only believers. They are new covenant. They also are signs and seals. The sacraments are signs and seals. What does that mean? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you. It's a good question. In your thinking about the sacraments, even in how I said it like 20 minutes ago, because I misspoke, Eh. Maybe. In your thinking about the sacraments, who is active? As in, who primarily is doing something? In my experience, growing up, various different churches, the focus on the sacraments was always on me. In baptism, I am making a public profession of faith. And in the Lord's table, I must confess all known sins, and then I must eat and drink. Very much, I think, focused on that individual participant. But those ideas, I think, are very sadly misplaced because it is God who is the one who is active in the sacraments. God is the primary actor. He actively gives, and we actively passively we actively passively receive we're not entirely passive because like baptism let's think think about baptism right you you do get into the water but you get into the water to be baptized go have something done to you so you're active passive right at the table You receive the elements of the body broken for you, not by you, and for the blood shed for you, not by you. You don't break the bread. You don't pour out the cup. Everything has been done for you by Christ, and physically by the deacons (laughs) for us. Everything has been done for you by Christ. You come, but you come merely to receive, just like the gospel. It's not cleanse yourself from your sins. It's come to be cleansed by God. It's not come offer Christ. It's come receive Christ offered for you. Do you see? That's what the gospel is, right? And we say that. We come with those empty hands to receive. And we don't, like, hold you down, force your mouth open, and shove it in. I'm not sure exactly what that would mean <laughs> as an illustration of that. It's kind of odd, right? I'm not just going to drag you kicking and screaming to the waters of baptism. So you are, you are participating, but you are coming to receive. Faith coming to the Lord. If you, if you remember nothing else that I say about the sacraments today, we can do like a, almost a reset, part two of the sermon, but we're on a schedule, can't do that. Two words that you must absolutely remember about the sacraments. I was going to ask you if you know what they are, but they're behind me. 
so it's not necessary for me to ask. You have to remember, when you think of the sacraments, sign and seal. I want you to say that. When you think of the sacraments, sign and seal. What does that mean? Signs, okay, sacraments, class, graduates. What do signs do? Signs point. Yes. Signs point and seals promise. Yeah, got louder on that one. We'll just do it again so everybody can hear us. Signs point. You didn't go through the class. And seals promise. Okay. Signs. The sacraments are signs and seals. Signs point, seals, promise. Right? If you were to tell someone, where's your church? My church is in Hurricane. And they go find like the nice sign off the hurricane exit. It says hurricane. It's a beautiful sign, right? You know the sign that I'm talking about right off the exit? And if you were to just go and just stand there and be like, well, where is everybody? I'm, this is hurricane, right? This spot's like, well, it's in hurricane. It's not all of hurricane. It, it's a sign that's, that's kind of pointing to hurricane. But it, the, the sign isn't the thing itself. Do you see? Like a sign is pointing to a reality, but it isn't the reality. See, that's the failing to distinguish between the physical and the spiritual. Is saying, oh, the sign is the thing, but the sign isn't the thing. The sign points us to the thing. When you're on the interstate, it's a hurricane five miles away, right? It's kind of like, well, is this hurricane? No, this is a sign to hurricane. And so God himself has given these things to point your attention back to those gospel truths. A sign pointing to a reality. What those realities are, we're going to take time the next two weeks to elaborate. Of what the baptism, I'll just tell you now, so in case you forget, it's good to hear things more than once, right? That baptism does point to your need and the accomplishment of the fact you have been washed of your sins. There's a cleansing aspect of that. You are united with the water, and in the same way, it's pointing you to the fact you are united with Christ, buried with him in his death, and raised to walk in newness of life. You must die for your sins, but Christ died for your sins, and you are united with him. Baptism is an identification and a union, and it just points you back. This is what happened. You are dead in Christ, and you are alive in Christ. Just like the table, and it's so obvious in that too, right? This isn't the place where the sacrifice happens. But every time that you, we read that passage of what takes place, 1 Corinthians 11, right, where Jesus saying, even before the fact, how is it not the thing it signifies, right? Sign and signify, you can see the similarities in those words because it's talking about the same thing. When Jesus said, this is my body broken for you, and he broke that bread, his body hadn't been broken yet. So it can't be the thing itself, It's a sign pointing to the thing. At that first instance, it was pointing forward. Every subsequent instance, it's pointing back. That you look at bread, and you look at wine or juice, and you look back to the cross. It's a huge sign saying, look at Jesus. It's a sign. Signs point, are you looking? Seals promise. Not... Not those type of seals. I don't know if they make promises. They probably wouldn't keep them because they're seals. It's not what we're talking about. I actually bought one for this last class. I'm so not like an animal seal. <laughs> Again, it's just, none of you are thinking about seals. It's only me. And then I said it, right? And it's just like, why do you say it? I don't know. 
But you also have the seal, which is like the wax imprint or the signet ring, right, that, that was used to seal documents. So I have one in my office, which is like a little indentation. You pour the wax on the letter, right? You guys, sometimes you do it on wedding invitations. Do uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? And so it's those ancient things to guarantee a document. The king, the emperor, the governor, he had his own personal seal. Maybe it was on a ring, maybe it was on something around his neck, and anything that had that indentation on it was most certainly from him. And when you receive that document, that seal was unbroken. Whatever that contents is, it had the full weight and authority and the guarantee of the one who had stamped it because it came from his very finger. That's why I say that seals promise, because the sacraments, as a seal of the promises of God, are God himself saying, I have done this for you by faith. Christ was offered for you. I guarantee it. We could say seals guarantee, but it doesn't have the P, like signs, point, seals, promise. You can't change it. Why are you asking me to? Seals promise. Next week, Lord willing, we'll have baptisms here right after we preach about baptisms. And so I'm going to ask, are you, are you listening? Are you listening to God pointing you and making promises to you about, about the sufficiency of your union with Christ? When you come to the table, are you hearing the promise of God that that body was broken for you and for your sins and that that blood was shed out and is a sufficient payment for your sins? That is a guarantee sealed as if by the very hand of God. Sacraments are seals that make those promises. Are you listening to the promises of God offered in the sacraments? Without a faith-filled knowledge of the gospel, the sacraments do nothing for us. Faith is an absolute necessity. And, and increasing faith, right? Because I'm not trying to make you think like, oh, I've, I've just, I didn't know all these things about it, so I've, I've been acting in disobedience or whatever else. No, our faith grows. That's why I want to I increase your gratitude and appreciation and love for the sacraments. Right? However much it's pointed you to Christ, I want it to point you to Christ faster or, or more or deepen your love for it. Whatever promise that you've, you've heard in the waters of baptism, I just want you to be reminded of it. To hear the promise spoken again and again and to look back to that promise and to hear what God has said to you as you were baptized in his name. Faith is an absolute necessity. And participation in the sacraments should always follow someone trusting in Christ. They both speak of what has happened. You are cleansed. You have been united with Christ, not what might happen in the future. They reassure us of the promises that we have already received, not promises about what is available to us. Participating in the sacraments is, is not a reminder merely of our past faith. I know I've said this before, but, but I really want to move away from you thinking about faith in past tense forms. I don't want to hear from you that you believed in the gospel. Not that I have any problem with you having believed in the gospel, but you must believe in the gospel. Faith must be present tense. Always and forever your trust must be in Christ and growing in that. 
I believed in Jesus that one time, a few months ago. I believed in Jesus many years ago. But for the, no, that's not how you come to the sacraments. You come to the table not because you did believe, but because you do believe. And in order for them to be of benefit to us, we must continue in our faith in Jesus. We must approach the sacraments in faith. Sacraments are signs and seals. No, signs, point, seals, promise. The sacraments are also number five. So ceremonies, physical and spiritual, part of the new covenant, signs and seals, and the sacraments are a means of grace. Here's probably the reason that I like the term most significantly, but also why people have the most problem with it, okay? The sacraments are symbolic, but they are not merely symbolic, Right? Just being symbolic could make it just that physical thing, as if nothing spiritual takes place. The sacraments are a, a means of God's grace to his people in Christ. They're not merely symbolic. It's not that nothing happens. But hear this, because here's the error of that Roman Catholic Church again, melding the physical and the spiritual together. The sacraments do not automatically do anything. The sacraments do not automatically grant justifying or saving grace. They're, they're a means of grace, but not that type of grace. Because it isn't the place or the time or the method by which you are justified. But just because the sacraments are not an automatic, just simply by doing them, a means of justification, just because they aren't that type of means of grace doesn't mean that the sacraments are graceless. They are a means of grace because there's more grace than just the grace of justification. The sacraments are not, also, here's the other piece, they are not exclusive means of grace, as in the only way that you receive grace from God is through the sacraments. That's what I would mean by exclusive. As if like, oh, there are means of grace and the only means of grace. That's just not true, right? God's word just bestows his grace on us. The gathering is a means of God's grace. The fellowship of his people is a means of grace. Prayer is a means of grace. All those things, not of justification, right? All of those different, conviction is a means of God's grace. Just the, the benefits of kindness that he bestows on his people all the time. It's all grace, grace that is sufficient for us. So they're not an exclusive means of grace, but when received by faith, the sacraments are an efficient means of grace. Grace to aid you in your sanctification. To help you turn from sin and turn to Christ. Help you put off and put on and to grow in repentance. They are efficient as in, as in it, it doesn't just work by the working. That's a, we could talk more about Roman Catholicism, but we're not going to. It's not just an automatic type of thing, but when received by faith, they are a means of grace that actually do accomplish a purpose, a, a purpose to sustain you. Because you need grace to be sustained in your faith. Grace that God has promised in the sacraments to those who receive them by faith. They are, they are a means of strengthening grace. I don't, do you come to the gathering weak? I come to the gathering weak sometimes. Come to the table weak, reminded of my sin, reminded of my shortcomings and whatever those might be, reminded of my failures. 
And it's just like, oh, man, I just wish I was good enough. And then the table just says, you're not, and you didn't need to be because of Jesus. It's like, that's right. That's right. Christ died for me. Not because I was good enough, because I wasn't good enough. Ha, ah, okay. I'm strengthened to, to move forward in this, to continue. So it's a means of, of persevering grace. Often as you eat this bread, drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death over and over and over until he comes. We have, we have need for the strength of endurance, strength to endure, strength to persevere all the way to the end of our lives, all the way to the end of time, and the sacraments are um, efficient. They work when received by faith because it's God who is behind that. They are used to help you persevere. Not a, they're not exclusive, right? They're not exhaustive. They are efficient. They work because of God, not because of you, and not because of the not because of the pastor. Praise God for that. It's not because I'm good enough that you receive grace in the sacraments. It's not because you're good enough that you receive grace in the sacraments. It's because God is good enough. Because Christ is sufficient. In 21st century America, we don't have much to do with covenants, right? We have, we have far much more, we're, we're more of a contract society or a, or a contract culture, right? Uh, contracts are cold, Im- impersonal, transactional, money for services. Uh, if your plumber's rude, everybody plums, Maybe not call them again, but they've got the job done. You don't have to like your roofer. He just has to pull off the old roof, put on the new one. Right? Yeah. Money for services. Not really a relationship. Sometimes they're like, let's keep the relationship. I don't even want a relationship. We should talk about that. But covenants are warm. They are personal. And they are relational. It's a massive difference between those two things. We don't, we don't have much to do with covenants, but thankfully there is one covenant that we do still speak of, and it's the covenant of marriage. We still have that, and we have that as something to help us learn about these things. In the marriage covenant ceremony, rings are exchanged by the bride and groom. These rings serve as reminders, they serve as announcements of that special day and the vows that the couple has made. They are visible signs pointing to the invisible reality of their marriage union. They also serve as seals of the covenant promises between the couple. When I look at my ring, I remember the promises that I made to Leanne. I remember the promises that she made to me as she put the ring on my finger. Different ring, we all know. And when she looks at her ring, the same thing happens. Peter promised, and I promised, swore, made vows, entered into a covenant with each other. Now, the exchanging of rings is not automatic. We were, I, I was eager to be married long before our wedding day, right? Guys, eager? Yeah? And girls, too, hopefully, right? We've got to talk in counseling if you're not. That's okay. But the exchanging of rings is not automatic. If at our, at our Bible college where we weren't even allowed to touch hands, if I had somehow found a way to slip a ringer, a ringer, a fi, uh, what is the word? A ring on the finger and made a new word, ringer, that's fun. If I had slipped a ring on Leanne's finger on our first date, we would not have automatically been married. 
Been like, ha ha, you're my wife now. Oh, foiled again. If that was the case, man, like first day of classes at those Bible colleges, you know. Neither are rings the marriage covenant itself. Watch this, okay? Not a magic trick. Okay, married. What am I? Married. Okay. Married. Married. Okay, we could do it all day. Never going to. Never going to change, right? And if I just hand you my wedding and you put it on, you're not married to Leanne. See, it's not automatic. That kind of thinking would be confusing the sign, the ring, with what it signifies, the marriage. The ring isn't marriage. The giving and wearing of rings is symbolic, but that doesn't mean that it isn't important. I worked at Starbucks in the Town Center Mall. I think I have used this illustration before. Uh, my ring's tungsten, so it's not always sized right because I, I want to, uh, I like my ring, but I want to keep my finger too. So if something were to happen, it's not able to be cut off. So it's sized to where it can be on and off. I do too much, it's going to roll off. Leanne will grab it and we'll have that thing again. So a cold like February night, and I'm taking trash out to the dumpster and I'm chucking the garbage bags. And on like the second or third bag, my cold fingers having constricted a little bit, my ring flew off my finger with the trash bag into the dumpster. The dumpster that was also one of those massive trash compactors. So I went in after it. It wasn't like active. I don't know, it could have been. Bravery. That's what I'm saying. Because I was about to go on, I wanted the ring, but also I was about to go on a work trip, and I didn't want to go on a work trip without my wedding ring. Not like I would have been mobbed by a bunch of single women or anything like that, but I wanted it to be obvious and to maintain the sign. I am married to Leanne. I care if nobody else cares. So I jumped in, I found my ring, pulled it out of the dumps. I had to dig around a little bit. Same ring that I lost in the pond a few years ago, but it's okay. I looked for that too. Okay, what if that story was a little bit different, right? Instead of bold and chivalrous and dumpster diving to find my ring, what if, because one of the cities that I traveled to, a bunch of different work trips, not for this job, but before I was a pastor, I went to Las Vegas for a work trip. I stayed right in one of those huge casino hotels right on the strip. And what if, while I was gone on that work trip to Las Vegas, Leanne found my wedding band hidden in my sock drawer, what do you think that would have communicated to her? I mean, it's just a symbol. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, the symbol isn't the thing itself, so take it or leave it. Is that what she would have thought? It's not what she would have thought. It's not what any of you would have thought. That's not what happened. It was on my finger the entire time. But it would have communicated that I didn't intend to be faithful to our marriage while I was there, that I intended to act as if that covenant didn't exist. And again, not what happened. By God's grace. The ring may be a symbol, but that doesn't mean that it isn't important. It may be a sign pointing to something. It's not the promise itself, but it's a symbol of the promise, but it's a promise. It points to and reminds me and provides that promise between Leanne and I of that relationship. Since we are physical and spiritual people, visible or tangible symbols are a powerful way for us to remember and proclaim invisible things. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are God's gifts to us. A sign and a seal of the covenant that we have with him through Christ by faith. Means, ways by which he has decided to provide his people with his grace. They are signs pointing to gospel truths. They are seals promising gospel benefits. 
And this, these next sentences, they may sound weird. But I think they sound weird because we've, we want to kind of keep too much of that distinction. We want to try to divorce the physical from the spiritual because it's, I mean, we know that the gospel on Christianity is spiritual, but we don't want to be too spiritual because that sounds weird. And I think that's because of our 20th century naturalistic world. But hear this, because it's what God has given us them for. By faith, right, I want you to listen to the gospel, okay? Listen to the gospel, but by faith, in the sacraments, I want you to look at the gospel. By faith, I want you to feel the gospel. By faith, I want you to taste the gospel. For that is exactly why Christ has given us the sacraments. That we wouldn't just hear, but we would see, we would taste, we would touch, we would feel the gospel. 